0: Hello and welcome to a Friday, April 10th, 2020, One is the Loneliest Number edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, the 2020 presidential race, Donald Trump and some guy named Joe who sends messages from his basement, bye-bye Bernie, and a painter dips his brush in presidential politics. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette, and with me today are Amy Rivers of the Cedar Falls Waterloo Courier. Good morning, Amy.
1: Good morning, James.
0: And Todd Dorman of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. First up this week, the presidential race, such as it is. Joe Biden may have the Democratic nomination all sewn up, but according to a Rasmussen report this week, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo would be a better challenger against President Donald Trump. He uh, certainly seems to get more attention than the presumptive nominee. Amy, um, what does Biden need to do to sort of reactivate his campaign? Um... The most attention he's gotten in recent weeks—yes, uh, I mean weeks—was when he and Trump talked on a phone call. Uh, and I'm guessing Trump won't do a welfare check every week. So, what <laughs> do we have to do to <laughs> hit the restart button?
1: Um, like get coronavirus? I mean, I don't know because it, the problem is that everybody's attention's diverted, and we're really only listening, you know, to to our political leaders. As it relates to coronavirus, so I mean, it's just really, really difficult to then separate that out and be like, oh yeah, I should really be, you know, making sure I'm paying attention to to what Biden's saying or or pay attention to I was gonna say Bernie, but you know, I guess we don't have to worry about that anymore. It's just how do we get that attention back? So it's either get coronavirus, which is not recommended, or do some commercials on Quibi, which is that new service that you've heard about on the mobile phones where it's like eight minute episodes. That would be a good spot for Biden to land. Hulu, Netflix, um, all of those places where I'm seeing Teresa Greenfield ads would probably be good. Um, but beyond that, I think just positioning himself so that um, when this is all over and you can take a really good look back at it. And I know that the Democratic Party is doing this you can really contrast um, Trump's response to coronavirus with what you would have done. And so I think that anything he sort of does to sort of build the ground for that, even if it's nothing flashy right now, I think is probably his best bet.
0: It almost seems like he has to have a, you know, do almost like a daily press conference after Trump's press conference and, and, you know, sort of as a counterpunch, although that almost might seem desperate, I guess, um, you know. It
1: it kind of does, you know, it's like the response after the bait, like, you know, the wonks will watch it and and read it and stuff like that. And, and, and the people that are really in his camp, but everybody on the fence is sort of like, all right, what are our new restrictions? What do I need to do? Now I got to go back to, you know, my, you know, kitchen desk workplace and then get my work done in this new environment. And meanwhile, my kids are running around. It's tough to cut through all that, I think. So mm-hmm. I think just really, even just biding his time is, is kind of maybe a decent strategy. And then once, you know, we get a little bit closer to the election, you know, if we're still in this arena, I hope we're not, then he can sort of start to like maybe branch out a little bit more from his his. But I think a a daily sort of address after every Trump address probably really isn't doing much for undecided voters.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I am surprised that his campaign hasn't found a way to get him out there better than he is. Um, It seems like they've Mm -hmm. really been slow to respond to the situation. Um, You know, I mean, he's the sort of person who he's good at on the campaign. What is your
1: Biden's if if you're Biden's campaign manager, for example, what would you, what would you have Biden do?
0: I don't know, but I, I mean, it just seems, I'm surprised that there aren't people in the campaign who haven't come up with an idea. I mean, you know, every campaign supposedly has people who are, are, you know, good at getting attention for the candidate. And, and it just seems like it's, they've been very slow to respond here. And unless that's their strategy is just to sort of wait out coronavirus. Um, I, I don't think that's a good strategy.
1: could be. It could be. I think it might be a good strategy to do that, actually.
0: Todd, um, as you think about the Biden nomination, um, isn't it good to see that once again, the results of the first Nation Iowa caucuses matter? We always said there were three tickets out of Iowa. I guess we didn't realize that Joe Biden was holding all three.
2: Yeah, he uh, he. he... I guess there were four tickets out of Iowa, maybe, I don't know, five. (laughs) Too many tickets to count. It was, you know, it's lucky the caucuses happened when they did, because we would have had a illegal gathering basically. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, it's, it's uh, Biden has never done terribly well in Iowa, as we all know. So I don't, you know, what his nomination means for the future of the caucuses will be interesting to see, but, uh, yeah it's you know it's just one more thing about this race that you know makes makes the caucuses look a little odd although you know just that said, I think the the confusion over the results and the delays probably helped Biden because all of the focus went to sort of the debacle and of the of the caucuses themselves and not the debacle of him finishing so poorly So the whole thing sort of was, you know the results didn't get as much, you know, attention as normal. So he was sort of able to go on without that being uh, a major blow, like it would have been if, if things had gone smoothly. So maybe in that way, he was actually the caucuses actually helped him in sort of a a, a backwards, confusing manner. <laughs> so uh, all the
0: all the confusion about the results sort of masked his poor finish.
2: Yeah, yeah, he didn't get nearly as you know banged up as much in the media as he might have otherwise yeah
0: amy uh now all the attention uh, turns to uh the beepstakes. stakes who will biden pick as a vice presidential running mate he's already said he'll choose a woman so uh, who has the edge here does she have to be a a woman of color b from a swing state c younger than dirt d jane sanders
1: I actually still think that uh, uh, Kamala Harris would be the perfect veep for him. I think, um, you know, she hits the buttons of being a woman, of being a black woman, of uh, sort of being an attorney and that hard nosed personality that Joe Biden is uh, really just not. I mean, sometimes he'll get into that hard nosed personality um, when he needs to. But but, you know, she could really, um, I think, compliment him well and I think would be an exciting addition to basically um you know the ticket i still think that it would be uh so phenomenal for biden to put bernie on the ticket because that takes out all the people that would have said oh i wouldn't vote for biden over bernie and now bernie's on the ticket i think it'd be really interesting i'm not sure if this has been done maybe in you know the older politics from 100 or 150 years ago but i think it'd be it'd be interesting
2: that would be interesting. It would, it would, it would, you know, it would maybe put on pressure to uh, to elect a young speaker of the house <laughs> because you'd have two pretty old guys in the line of succession. Uh, yeah,
1: That's the only downside to this plan, right? Is right. That there's, there's nobody yeah. young and that takes that excitement out of it. Right?
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: So Todd, uh, uh, is there uh all of the above candidate out there?
2: No, there there really isn't an all of the above, but uh, I agree with Amy that Kamala Harris would be a good pick. Uh, you know, as with that prosecuting background, I mean that's sort of your your vice presidential running mate's job is to kind of be on the attack, and I I think she could she could do that pretty well. Uh, then there's you know Amy Klobuchar did did Joe Biden a pretty big favor and helped him out in Minnesota. She might have that you know, more Midwestern appeal in places like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Michigan maybe that he needs to win. But, uh, and and lately you've heard a lot about Gretchen Whitman, the governor of Michigan, who, who Trump has so famously said that he doesn't want to call because she's not uh, grateful enough for his COVID help. Uh, her profile has, has raised a lot. So, uh, I've seen, you know, lists of up to 11 or 12 people that could be considered. So, um, yeah, it's uh, there are a lot of good possibilities out there. It's going to be a, a tough pick, and it it's going to depend on what whether he wants someone you know that will be a good campaigner and can bring something to the ticket for electoral purposes, or whether he's looking for someone that you know people will feel like could be could be president.
0: Yeah, it, it, in the recent days, it seems like Kamala Harris is certainly getting a lot of attention and and um, sort of raising her profile. So I guess maybe she looks like the odds on favorite, but uh, I don't think that's any guarantee that that's who Biden will pick. Um, In a way, I guess he has, uh, you know, it almost goes back to the early days of the caucus campaign when uh, Democrats said they had an abundance of riches. And uh, I think Biden's in the same position that uh, he has a lot to choose from. However, it seems unlikely that his running mate will be Bernie Sanders, uh, who dropped out of the presidential race this week, or I guess maybe technically suspended his campaign. Um, he and his Bernie Bros kept insisting that despite getting walloped by Biden in March primaries, he had a path to the nomination. This week, that path disappeared into the fog of inevitability. Not. Just because COVID nineteen gets more clicks than anything else these days, but Todd was the Sanders campaign in any way a victim of the coronavirus pandemic?
2: Well, it it certainly didn't help that you know campaign activity had to be so drastically curtailed. Uh, I mean, there you know his is you know he, he's he's a candidate who you know energizes his supporters through rallies and gatherings and you know, concerts and has performers come. And I mean, that's sort of his, you know, how, you know, his grassroots uh, movement that he calls it is, uh, you know, sort of energized by coming together and, and, you know, and, and that couldn't happen. And so, yeah, I do think that that probably hurt him. I mean, the math was looking pretty daunting regardless, even before the pandemic, it was, you know, he would have had to have won some astounding, upsets to to gather enough delegates to make it to make a run at it so in that way you know maybe it didn't matter but yeah i i think you know the enthusiasm that was left in his campaign sort of the, was deflated by the by the social distancing and all the things that have happened since and the news cycle turning away from the campaign so yeah it, it didn't help and so that'll probably be one factor in in the in the post-mortem
0: yeah, although it seems like the the postmortems have been have been pretty muted by <laughs> coverage yeah, of a, right. the virus. It's like you know any other
2: Any other day that his dropping out would have been the top story in major newspapers and I mean just in my online reading it was it certainly wasn't. So that's it's yeah, a new reality
0: sort of in other news Bernie Sanders suspended yeah. his campaign. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Amy um, when you look at the Sanders campaign not just this year but at back you know the 2016 cycle did Sanders win by losing or, or perhaps win while losing when mm-hmm. you think about uh, how he moved the Democratic Party in a and Joe Biden in a progressive direction um, you know Thursday Biden announced support for lowering the Medicare eligibility age to 60 and expanding student debt forgiveness to low and middle, Income families. Um, certainly, more Americans are comfortable with the idea of a government run healthcare system. So um, maybe, I mean, if he takes something away from his revolution, is it that he's won while losing?
1: I think it's really interesting in the age of of coronavirus that Bernie is actually seeing a lot of his ideas come to fruition in terms of uh, people sort of getting the help that that they need if they're especially if they're low income. If you take a look at um, sort of what the CARES Act does and and even what what they were trying to do, maybe maybe they didn't get everything passed, but a lot of it had to do with student loan forgiveness. A lot of it had to do with you know helping. Uh, Make sure that people are, are sort of insured or trying to get them insured, um, getting extra money into people's paychecks, um, even if it is turns out to be in an unemployment paycheck. I mean, these are things that Bernie has been saying that people need and and now people are functionally getting them. I kind of thought that's why he wasn't dropping out in the first place, because he's actually seeing his policies coming into uh, some sort of fruition and then he can run on that. He can say, look, this is working for people. This helped people in a time of immediate need that we needed this. This worked. And I thought that's why he was going to stick it out for at least through um, the debate or a possible debate down the line. And and of course, that won't happen. But it's really interesting to sort of see. And I'm sure that it is for him, too, to sort of see everybody maybe rally behind a lot of these policies, even if he is not the uh, figurehead at the top of it.
2: Yeah, Amy, that's, that's a really great point. I mean, he, you know, it, it's, it's, it's almost as if that this was sort of a, you know, this crisis situation and, and now all of a sudden we're, we're all, we're wanting all this, you know, what, what the Republicans would derisively call this all the socialism, which is, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Which the supporters would say is, you know, is government stepping in to help people who need help? And and I think there's going to be an argument with maybe Bernie Sanders leading it when this is over that, you know, these are yeah. things that the country needs all the time, not just, you know, when when something bad, something bad happens.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you're Andrew Yang today, you are celebrating that, you know, extra couple of government checks coming everybody's way and saying this is exactly what I was talking about. Like so it's it's definitely that multiple policies, I think, are seeing the light of day right now for, for some of these um, failed presidential candidates.
0: So following up on that Todd, I guess another way to to ask that question is, is what is the Sanders legacy?
2: Well, I, you know it's obviously he he pushed the Democratic Party. To the left on on a lot of issues, healthcare and and you know, free college and all these things became sort of mainstream positions in the party. Uh, And as Amy was saying, and what we were just talking about, it's it's you know, we're we're seeing we're seeing some of that you know become not only mainstream in the Democratic Party, but become more mainstream as the country goes through this crisis and realizes that you know there are there are you know gaps and, 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 uh, problems in the country that are potentially can harm people, especially in a time of crisis. So maybe we should look at maybe some government intervention that it's, it's going to change, you know, the complexion of the, of the fall campaign with, you know, it it looked like it was going to be Democrats arguing for some of these things and, and Republicans saying it's socialism. The the whole socialism argument, I think maybe loses a little bit of its oomph now that the government has had to step in so much during this crisis to protect people's health. But you know, and I, I suppose if you're uh, an ardent Hillary Clinton supporter from 2016, you might say Bernie Sanders' legacy is President Donald Trump because there's a lot of bad feelings that Bernie didn't support her adequately and rally his troops behind her, and some of them voted, you know, for other candidates, and that robbed her of critical support. So there's still bad blood over that. So it's a mixed legacy, but I think uh, it's. It's it's really interesting how, you know, history sort of works in that Bernie Sanders' political career is, or national career is coming to an end, just as we're in a moment where uh, so many of the things that he's advocated suddenly seem crucial.
0: Well, remember Sanders' campaign slogan, not me, us. I guess he was half right. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. Speaking (laughs) of campaign slogans, among the thousand plus people who have filed for president with the Federal Election Commission is a sex offender uh, using the lessons he learned as one of society's castoffs to run for president. No, no, I'm not talking about Bill Clinton or Donald Trump. Derek Dean Taub says he knows what it's like to be isolated from society, which isn't unique in this age of COVID-19. And he wants to bring his lessons learned to the White House, so um Amy, what should Todd's campaign slogan be?
1: <laughs> I got a good one keep self isolating kids. you never know who's out there
2: <laughs> okay <laughs> todd uh, campaign slogan uh, for Todd I don't, oh, I don't have one as good i I you know maybe. Hey, I'm I, really. I'm not joking. I mean, that would be that would be one. You know, I'm serious. Okay, we'll, we'll serious, leave it at that.
0: Guys. And that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope worth your time. If you liked it, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast. Fan mail may be sent to podcasts at thegazette.com. You can find us every week on the homepages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Lipstick Homicide will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening.